0: to ESPN's The Far Post Podcast. We are back for another week. We are in the thick of that weird time that doesn't really exist or mean anything, but there has been some A-League women's action which brings purpose and meaning to our lives, so let's discuss all of that goodness. We're unfortunately down a member today, so there's no Anna Harrington, but you do have me, Marissa Lordani, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian-Wilkes to take you through the absolute array of delights that the A-League women's offered up. So let's crack into that chat. But as always, before we get into the thick of the action, we need to do some You Love to See It. So, Angela, please start us off with a You Love to See It. Yeah. So
1: my You Love to See It, I'm so sorry for what is about to happen, is Grace Ma, a banger from afar, in the Brisbane... <laughs> the Canberra Brisbane game that opened the round that I just like, I I really wanted to do that, but I also, it was, a, it was an amazing goal. So if you didn't get the gist of what I just said, she took a free kick and it just soared into the goal superbly over everyone's heads out of the reach of Georgie Worth. And that was the goal that got Canberra back into the game in that 87th minute, I believe. So I mean, it was a Grace Mars special. It was incredible. you love to
0: see it. Hashtag amazing Grace. Shout out to Friends of the Pod, Eric and Stefan. But we did absolutely love to see
2: it. Sam,
0: what did you love to see?
2: I just want to say that for people listening to, Marissa and I had our mics off, but we we just were still laughing. And Angela just then I actually snorted. And there was a person walking past my house who looked into my window when I <laughs> anyway speaking of Grace Ma though one thing that I that I really did love to see from her was in the build-up to Canberra's equaliser against Brisbane she did this beautiful little sort of shifty move on the goal line to get around Cannon Clough and assist the equaliser for Ashley Crofts. that was just such a nice little Grace Ma kind of throwback moment it was really fun but my you love to see it this week um of course is about History makers, it is Hannah Wilkinson from Melbourne City scoring five goals in a game. She equals the current record held by Kate Gill for the most goals scored by an individual player in a single match. Uh, It was an amazing performance, not just by Wilkinson, but also by Melbourne City in the Melbourne Derby. Uh, Coming away 5-1 winners against Melbourne Victory. We'll obviously talk about it, but it's really cool to see Wilkinson you know, hitting the straps and justifying the reason that she was brought to the club in the first place. So Anna Wilkinson scoring a bunch of goals, making record history, well, equaling history. You'd love to see it.
0: We did love to see that. And I feel like I'm stealing your shticks doing this, but just quick, you'd love to see it. We had a whole bunch of debut goals as well. So shout out to Holly Caspers, Maya Markovsky and Gemma House. Nearly forgot it, but I didn't. So congrats to all of them for scoring their debut goals. Obviously, some of them, they were very helpful to their teams and others were just big, fat consolation goals. But to get off the mark is a very cool, very important thing in all of their careers. So we absolutely love to see some debut goals. But let's start. We need to start with the Melbourne Derby because it was the most bananas – I say that and then I'm like, Canberra-Brisbane was literally 3-3. That was bananas. But we are going to start with the Melbourne derby because it was just an insane game for Melbourne City and for Melbourne Victory, but not in a good way at all. So we need to talk about it. We need to talk about why City was so good and why Victory was so bad. Like, it just wasn't pleasant at all. So, Angela, I'm going to go to you. Would you like to offer up some initial thoughts on this game? Mm, yeah, it was all our predictions unhappily
1: coming true, I guess, for Victory. Um, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, okay, I do have to, so basically I think what we've seen so far this season, Victory had three from three, right, but it was like they just got three from three and they've always sort of started on the front foot, not so much the first Melbourne Derby where, Jackson got their own goal but they've been able to sort of c- crawl ahead a little bit um and they just haven't been under this kind of pressure so early on and so I feel like it was just like yeah stall stairs falling downstairs for this game because that initial goal from Hannah Wilkinson within five minutes that was a smashing goal she did really well as Sam mentioned she did really well to finish that but it just seemed to put a uh, yeah Stick in the spoke of the bike wheel, or whatever was—I don't know. I have so many metaphors; they're all bad. It was that. It was just. I the okay. This is the thing. Tiff Eliades was centre back, and I'm not sure why. Um, for the so Tiff Eliades is an attacking midfielder and a striker. By nature and I think that this sort of position her moving into this position highlights where Victoria at with their defensive personnel and their defensive depth um all credit to her she played a full 90 in a position that she I don't think I've ever seen her play I'm not sure if she's ever played a game at dub level in this position but it obviously I think led to some communication errors just her not being entirely comfortable with the position and perhaps not playing as defensively as you would typically expect. Amy Jackson was back and she played there the last derby as a sort of we talked about it I think after round one it was like the break glass in emergency was Amy Jackson so I don't know what happens when you break that glass and then there's I there's no more glass to break. I'm I'm just not sure, and I, I think maybe because she got a red card last time, maybe Jeff Hopkins was playing it conservatively, and putting Jackson in the midfield to sort of help orchestrate things there and gel things there a little bit because they were missing a defensive midfielder the last week. But yeah, I just I just yeah, and um, I think as well, just initially with Dumont. I, I feel for her because it's her first season coming back into things. I feel like she does need a really expense, experienced centre-back um, and someone that knows her. And, it, yeah, everyone just sort of got, um, it just fell apart, basically. That was a really long-winded way of saying that, yeah, the defensive issues that have been bubbling away, they really came to the surface and Jeff Hopkins basically said as much um, after the game. He was like, we, we probably had this coming because we've gotten away with things or basically I'm paraphrasing, but that's, yeah, to that effect. Um, and yeah, so not good. I think too long didn't read, early goal demoralised them, they got inside their own heads, lack of like communication just meant that they weren't able to sort of claim it back maybe they did seem to regroup a little bit after the second half but it wasn't enough to sort of stem the issues that had already manifested so yeah Sam also City were really good I feel like I should say that City have come together as Victory have shut the bed so it was just a culmination of things
2: yeah yeah absolutely I think the the early artist point is a good one because It's not just that she was inexperienced in that role, but it's that that inexperience had a domino effect on the players around her, the players who you would think are a bit more experienced and would be able to compensate for that. But because she didn't really know what she was doing in key defensive moments, it meant that players around her, like Claudia Bunge, like Courtney Nevin, and even like Amy Jackson in defensive midfield, had to make different decisions than perhaps what they would have done had there been say a Kayla Morrison or someone there who was much more reliable and much more experienced at that position. And that's why you saw when Wilkinson just glided past some of those defenders to score her goals, like she like she was just running into open space because there was just this having this forced shuffle, especially across victories back four as a result of that, single player sort of being the weak link because all the players around her then had to overcompensate and try and fill in those gaps. So that's, and City to their extreme credit really capitalized on that. They saw that this was victory's weak point and they were able to like penetrate them in those ways and pull them apart and find spaces in behind them. And like Hannah Wilkinson's goals were all pretty easy, you know, like they, they weren't like extreme feats of individual brilliance. They were just like passing around cones type of goals, except probably for the one where Casey Dumont tried to kick the ball and it ricocheted off uh, Holly McNamara and, and Wilkinson just sort of nipped in and, and curled it around her. I mean, I, I do feel bad for Dumont as well, Angela. I think you're right there. Like that must have been such a a, sh- a shitty... Feeling to finish that game, having come back from a torn Achilles, feeling like you're doing quite well, and then all of a sudden making two really big errors that leads to two of five goals that you concede. Not just that one, but the one where she also clatters into Tiffany Eliadis because there just doesn't seem to be any communication between the two of them, and then Wilkinson gets gets in around and passes the ball into the net. It was it was just really calamitous from a lot of different um, kinds of defensive perspectives, and yeah, like why didn't why didn't Jeff move Amy Jackson into into centre back? Like, uh, you, like Victory have more midfielders than what they do defenders, and so I don't know why you wouldn't say move a Jackson there, move a Kyra Cooney cross into a six, and then bring on an Alana Murphy, for example. Like you've got depth in midfield, you've got players who are able to compensate in that space, but it's it's like. Attack wins games, defense wins championships type of you know mindset, and so that's that player selection was just really bizarre to me.
1: I do also wonder so when you look at the defenders that they do have, you could put together a backline of young defenders, so bunge in a center back pairing with Nevin, and then maybe I don't know if Privatel can someone tell me if Privatelli can play on the left we play on the left yeah um. But obviously what you're missing there is someone with a bit more experience or someone who's a little bit older. But it is sort of that thing of like when you're down, what was it, 3-0 at half time? may as well try. It was just interesting that they didn't really change anything. I wonder if that's also just to sort of see it out, see if Eliardis can change things around as well, give her an opportunity to do that. I, I, I don't know. It could, I, I imagine maybe that's coming from a place of, okay, we just see this out and we see if it works. And if it does work, then we've got something we can work on rather than trying to change things up in the second half to preserve or like, recuperate a little bit. I don't know, but yeah, it'll be interesting. To be honest, I'd back in a back four with Privatelli there. She, like, cause she's the captain. I think that she would bring a lot to that and then just sort of, yeah, give Bunge and Nevin a vote of confidence to lead that backline. I mean, Nevin did a great job with Jessica Nash and the Matildas, even though that was had its own issues, as we've covered in depth, check out those episodes. She's shown that she can step up to the challenge in situations with a young defender by her side, another young defender by her side.
2: Anyway, yes. Intriguing to see what will happen next. I do think it's, it's worth talking about Melbourne City, though, because I I did not expect this team to be playing this well this soon considering the past two seasons of this club. Um, I have been so impressed with Holly McNamara. She has just been a revelation in the league. I don't know where she has been hiding, but she has been extraordinary. And she it's not just that she is ex- excellent when it comes to her ability on the ball and a number of her assists were extremely clean for Hannah Wilkinson, but she's also, she seems to embody the kind of football energy that Radha is wanting this team to play. She's a high presser. She's really intense. She doesn't give up. You know, she seems to really be the the sort of the full character of, of this side. Um, and that's the other thing I think when we talk about how City played to um, or exploited victory's weaknesses because they knew that Melbourne victory's midfield was probably their strongest element aside from perhaps their wingers. They completely neutralized victory's midfield. Like that was the quietest game. I think I've seen Cara Cootie cross ever play at W league level. Alex Chidiak barely did anything. And again, Amy Jackson was sort of pulled in various directions based on the weaknesses around her. So City were fantastic. They they absolutely suffocated victories midfield and their defenders did very well in keeping Lynn Williams and Catherine Zimmerman quiet for the majority of the game as well. Like it was just a really well-rounded performance from Melbourne City and I think they fully deserve where they are on the ladder now.
1: I was just going to say, yes, and also I'm also very impressed by the City side. I feel like I... I'm gaining more respect for Rado. Obviously he's um, a good coach. I think it was a few seasons ago he had the success with the, yeah, that was 2020. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Um, So obviously he's a great coach, but I really like, yeah, what he's doing this season and obviously has identified what needed to be changed from last season, has kept the good parts and refresh like click to refresh where needed and also City have been lucky in the sense that they've, they've been able to put out the same starting 11 for three games in a row and the first game they had Naomi Chinama in their defense and she's also like another player who was getting a, like quite a lot of minutes at the tail end of last season is just like really I think a great player to have on the bench and to bring that defensive depth so yeah, they're just getting stronger and stronger, especially with Stottie getting more minutes as well. I think, they, yeah, they're just, it's one of those things. They've just run with the same combination and it's clicked. And it, I think they're just going to keep clicking, to be honest. It's
0: a tad scary. Let's shift focus. That was a, a lot of Melbourne derby chat. So let's stick with derbies and instead turn our focus to what looked like a wet and wild Sydney derby. It was a scoreless Sydney Derby, but it was a weird game. We kind of had a little discussion about it pre-record. And it was just it was a real weird, bizarre kind of game. So Sam, please some initial thoughts on the Sydney Derby.
2: Yeah, it was it was weird. It was The Marissa, you, I mean, you you summarized it best on Twitter where you posted the GIF from happy Gilmore, where he's leaning down, yelling at the golf ball saying, what, why won't you go home? Don't you want to go to your home? That's what it was like for Sydney. Like they just, if you watch the entire game and then you look at the statistics, they had, I think about 14 or 15 shots, but only one of them was on target. It was just such a. It was a. It was a weirdly unclinical performance from Sydney FC, and I feel so terrible for Mackenzie Hawksby. Who has I think been one of Sydney's stand-up players, not just this season but in previous seasons as well? She really, really dictated this game for for Sydney. She had a number of opportunities on goal, but it was just like a fraction of a second here or there where it's like just like it just didn't want to go into the home. It just didn't, want to, just didn't have. And I mean, credit to the Wanderers, I think, because they have not had the best couple of weeks I think we can say quite kindly not just on the field in terms of their performances which have been quite poor except perhaps for their draw against Newcastle but They've faced quite a bit of shit off the field in recent weeks as well. Um, I wrote about this in my column yesterday. Uh, former women's head coach Dean Heffernan came out on Twitter and criticised the club generally uh, for the direction in which they've steered it and the effect that it's had on the players and on the staff and that it's the reason why he didn't sign a, a renewal of his contract. It's just been this whole bin fire off the field for this club. Um, justly so, I think, in most in most respects. And you know that's a lot for these players to to carry out onto the field every week. Uh, not to mention the fact that head coach Catherine Canoli was rapidly moved into isolation on the day of the derby because she was a rumored close contact over Christmas. So poor old assistant coach having to step up for his first ever season and take over this club coming into this derby, which is. Uh, they were not at all expected to get anything from based on not just the, the their performances this season but the history of this of this derby since twenty twenty sort of 12 13 14 15 um yeah it was it was it was weird the weather was crap um they Sydney FC were missing Remy Simpson who I think think even though she's not perhaps not delivering as many goals as what you would expect she does a lot of work off the ball that allows players like Courtney Vine and, and Princess Sabini to really shine I don't think Maria Rojas really delivered the same thing that Simpson does um, but maybe that's just because this was her first game for Sydney and she's still getting used to the whole the whole kitten caboodle. Um, yeah, it was just it was strange. It was an uncomfortable game to watch. Um, there was the the, the hair pulling incident, which we are probably going to have to talk about because it was it was pro- it was pretty gross, um, and I think it was pretty widely condemned in all different kinds of aspects. But yeah, like I just I just watched the game and I was like, what what is happening here? This doesn't feel like it should be following the script that had been written for it. Um, but I guess that makes for good football for neutrals. I don't know. What do you guys think? It was an interesting one. I was quite impressed by Wanderers. I think,
1: yeah. To be fair, like you said, Sam, a lot of those shots they they were not they were not going in. Um, but to still I think hold Sydney out and they yeah Sydney for the way it was sort of just like they played out from the back. They do some nice midfield stuff, passing Taylor Ray. I'm. Um, Every game I see her play, I'm more and more impressed. And then, yeah, it just gets to the front line. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an interesting one. And also, like what you said about Rojas, she is a very different player to Seamson. And it's sort of, I don't know, I wonder if she feels like she's um, intruding on like a friendship group. <laughs> starting uh, instead of Remy Seamson because Ibeni and Vine and Seamson seem to have like a shared language a lot of the time and have played together so much and so much of last season as well and so yeah and she doesn't I don't know she's I feel like Rojas I'd be interested to see her played as a 10 or something like that, but obviously Sydney's midfield are gelling so well. So it will be interesting to see how she'll be used um, as they continue on, maybe if she'll be the sub. Um, I can't remember who was coming on instead of Rojas when Simpson was coming off. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But, yeah, it, it was an odd one. But, it, yeah, and it was quite violent as well. Enter, entertaining, but... I think we've covered it to be honest I don't have anything else to say apart from Hawksby i i hope <laughs> I hope she can bounce back because yeah that would have been a bit of a um bad feeling to not get one in. she was working so hard i it sort of felt like um because she's like gotten a goal this season it's almost like she was trying to force it a little bit and it's just like no just relax babe just just relax. It will happen. You're good. You can score goals. It doesn't, it just don't. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's all I've I've got to say. I say as a tenured striker and midfielder to McKenzie Hawksby, who has less experience than me.
0: (laughs) Sorry. I loved it. You're, you, from your place of experience, you're just sharing your wisdom, you know, but I literally like Before the the Happy Gilmore tweet, I literally said, I'm going to be so surprised if Mackenzie Hawksby does not end up on the score sheet. And I am still very surprised that she did not end up on the score sheet. I think you guys are totally right in the sense that obviously it seems in a Rojas not the same player, and I don't think anyone expected them to be the same player. I would be really intrigued to see them both play because I think what Rojas brought was a bit of physicality, was definitely kind of pressing high, obviously very tricky likes, dribbling likes going on those runs. So if there was someone there to maybe be on the end of that work, like a Simpson, I would love to see how that plays out. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I reckon, you know, <laughs> just going back to like the the friendship metaphor, it was almost like you know, Abini and Vine and Seaman have all learnt the dance, and then Rojas has come in and she's trying to pick up the choreography, but it's not really working. But you know, Vine and Abini know what's going on and haven't really She hasn't learnt the steps yet. Doesn't mean she won't. She just hasn't learned the steps yet at the sleepover to perform in front of Mum and Dad at the the next morning. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I know we've alluded to it. We will save it for the boot, the the hair pull discussion. We will instead move on to some of the other games we had this weekend, including Brisbane 3, Canberra 3. What is my first and only real take on this game? I wrote for the Roar in my kind of column that I... Still have no explanation as to what either Brisbane or Canberra are doing. I have no clarity on kind of where they're going because the first half, it seemed like Brisbane good, Brisbane hitting their straps, finding goals, Canberra kind of just falling apart. And I was like, okay, this, you know, some clarity. I know what's happening now. Second half, all of a sudden, Brisbane start falling apart. Canberra start doing amazing things. Grace Ma basically changes the game off her own boots. So I have no thoughts No ideas, no explanations, and I'm hoping either of you who are infinitely smarter than me can kind of explain what the deal with Canberra and Brisbane is, please.
2: I mean, if there there was anything consistent about this game, it's that these kinds of score lines, these kinds of performances tend to happen between these two clubs quite regularly. Like these are two foundation clubs for one. They've contested grand finals before. They've always, it's always been like this. It's always been really exciting. It's always been nail-biting stuff. And so, like, I'm, I'm kind of glad that this happened. Like, there were some absolute shockers throughout this game. The, the own goal, for example, that Keely Richards let in from Carly, like, that was just incredible. Um, but I, I'm, I'm happy for the Canberra United home fans. I'm happy for the club because like these two clubs are still at the foot of the ladder. They only have one point after this draw (laughs) and that's not where you expected. I don't think anyone expected them to be a a quarter of the way through the season, Um, but it's not because they're playing badly. It's just like, like we talked about in the last episode, like they're, they're just missing that final thing that would make it an all round performance. And we did say that once, Brisbane start to score goals. They're going to start to score many goals. I feel like this is probably the start of that. Um, I can't... I don't have the same confidence when it comes to Canberra, though. I don't think. I... Like, I love Michelle Heyman. I thought that when we did our pre-season predictions, I thought she'd get the golden boot again. But they're, they're just teams have just figured her out. They've just figured her out. And they've they've found a way to nullify her feeder players as well. They've stopped the ball from getting to, to her, um, which effectively means that she is basically out of most of the games that she plays in. Like She scored in this game against Brisbane, but it, outside of that, she didn't really do much. And I can't, over the last four games, I can't really think of Michelle Heyman doing a huge amount in the same way that she did last season either. And I don't know how often a Grace Ma is going to be able to come to the rescue of Canberra United again. You know, she's a fantastic player, obviously. Um, Now that she's finally being played in midfield as opposed to centre-back where she was in the first game, she's, you know, actually influencing things. I don't know what the go was with Laura Hughes starting on the bench. She is probably one of the best defensive midfielders in the competition. I don't know why she wasn't there. Not a huge fan of Chloe Middleton. I know she runs a lot, but she had some real elephant touches in this game that gave the ball away way too many times in important moments. I just don't. It just feels like Canberra just haven't got it yet, and Brisbane they just they just they just need to remember when Caitlin Ford was really struggling to score goals, and then that story came out where she said, "You know what I did? I I think it was when she was still playing for Portland, coming back from an injury. She's just like I just spent." half an hour after every training session, just kicking the ball into the net, just kicking it again and again and again, just to train her body into what it felt like to score goals. I feel like that's what Brisbane need to do. They just need to keep kicking the ball in the net in training. And then hopefully that is going to somehow bleed into their actual performances because they're fantastic all the way up until they get to that final kick, that final pass, that final shot. And for some reason it just doesn't go their way. So, but you know, this is a performance where, I think it shows that they, they're like one or two games away from just absolutely annihilating the next team that comes along.
1: Yeah, I guess the other thing, I did some quick maths. This might be incorrect. Also, when you said that we're a quarter of the way through the season, Sam, I just realised, like I wrote a rap and I was like, put that it's a third of the way through the season, so obviously take any maths that I do ever with a grain of salt. It's probably incorrect. But anyway... So six out of the nine goals that Brisbane have conceded have been within the last 10 minutes of the game as well, which suggests that there's sort of like a, there's some focus that is falling or disappearing in that last 10 minutes and they're conceding. And as we saw with the, I think it was the both Perth games and the victory game to an extent, like that can really change whether they're in it or they're not. And, and as we saw this game as well, it like meant that they didn't, they were 3-1 up and they lost the 3-1 lead. And credit to Grace Maher, like that was, she played as a game changer. She made a huge impact. But I think there must be something going on there for them to not see out these games. So the defensive side of things, I think I've been quite pleasantly surprised by Brisbane's defence. Jersey Rashart really rate her. She's so quick. My goodness. Calm down. Um, Jamelia Rankin's really stepped up as well. And, Canon Clough. <laughs> we had some confusion pre-record about Canon Clough's name. I thought it was Barry Clough. I don't know why. I don't know why, guys. I don't know why. Okay. Um, and then now they've brought in Isabella Valletta, which is going to bring a lot of some depth there as well. Um, Haffenden, she's been great. I'm just listing Brisbane defensive players now. But I've, I've been, yeah, I think that, and then midfield as well, Norrie's been doing so much work and she's such a composed presence. Yeah, there's so much to like about this Brisbane side. It's just that final, it's just a few little tweaks that they need to make. Yeah, the finishing and that final 10 minutes probably would be the two things I'd highlight the most. But also credit to Adam Margrave. I think she deserves a shout-out for this game because it was her pressure on Carly Rosbach and that led to the own goal. Like, obviously, that shouldn't have been a goal, but she was bearing down on Russ Barkin, who had to make that pass directly back, couldn't make a sort of safer pass t- that wouldn't have been on target. Oh, it's bad. It's very bad. Anyway, um, and it was also her shot that Richards had to deflect and then Shea Connors did a, an incredible run and also poor defender from camera to come in and clean it up. So I think the, resi- like the, the desire to win is there for Brisbane. It's yeah, just those, that, a few final little things. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised. I sort of pre-prediction. I, when we did our predictions board, actually, I would have expected them to have been here, but now that I've seen them play, I'm like that's not actually reflective of where they should be on this table at all. Yeah. It's a very strange season so far. I'm very, it's, I'm intrigued. I'm loving it. But it's, yeah, it's a, it's a wild one. Also on re-Canberra, the lineups have changed so much, I guess, as well. So they're not having that consistency, um, which, as I mentioned, City have. I think the consistency side of things in such a short season, very, very important. But also Toby, I really liked what she brought. I feel like her role was just, when we were talking about Rojas, how you said she was just quite physical. Um and she, what was the other thing? Can't remember. Oh, yeah, like Rojas is someone who would be good to just, you know, serve a, a ball on a platter to someone else. I feel like that's what sort of Toby brought. She brought it for that first goal with Michelle Heyman. And if that's her job to just be a menace, get the ball, find Michelle Heyman, and she can keep doing that, I think that Canberra might see a bit more love in front of the goals. Because um, Michelle Heyman can finish. But as you said, Sam, and she's mucked out of the game, she's. It's, it's no good so just solving that problem but yeah it was i really enjoyed elura toby and what she brought um and she's been quite hyped up so good to see that come
0: to fruition that was toby's first start with Heyman. so i am interested to see kind of how they progress because obviously initial signs very good like the combination for that goal good so canberra fans will be like yes more of that please big fan i would like 60 of that one. thank you. Um, we did discuss it so we'll keep it brief. Unfortunately, so there has been a lot of chaos in the dub, which is what we love about it, but a lot of that chaos has manifested itself in the form of goalkeeping errors. So we need to have just a brief little chat about why the why these errors are happening and why like is it one of those things where, we saw one and now we see them everywhere? So it's like a confirmation bias, an availability bias kind of thing? Or is there something kind of deeper and more sinister happening within the ranks of Australian football that mean that there are so many kind of shonky errors leading to goals happening in the dub? So, Sam, I know you had some thoughts on the goalkeeping situation, so please...
2: Yeah, um, it's a good question. I think it's probably a combination of both. Um, it's also worth pointing out that I think own goal is currently second on the golden boot ladder, um, which probably is a, a good illustration of of this larger point. Yeah, look, I, I wrote in my column as well that it it appears that we are now realising the extent of the goalkeeper gap that we have in Australian football. I think last season it was pretty, pretty clear that Tegan Micah was far and away the best goalkeeper we had in the league. But now that she's gone, if you were to ask yourself, who is the best keeper that we've got in Australia currently? I think people would probably struggle to to figure out who that is. I think after that performance from Casey Dumont, that's made me a little bit, I would almost say Melissa Barbieri at this point. And that's troubling because she is a former Matilda and she is in her 40s. The fact that she is our best league goalkeeper at the moment is worrying. We've seen errors from a number of younger goalkeepers across the season so far, a number of different clubs, a number of different moments. But also when I think about what makes our best goalkeepers good, I don't see those same qualities in the goalkeepers that we currently have in the league so if we've got our, our top three Matildas, we've got a Lydia Williams, a Mackenzie Arnold, and a Tegan Micah. They all display technical and physical abilities that I don't see replicated amongst the, this sort of newer generation of goalkeepers coming through. I think uh, the performances from Keeley Richards, and to to some extent uh, Georgie Worth as well. They in that in that insane three all draw that they, they sort of demonstrated a lack of. Um, technical ability. And when I say technical ability, I mean like when a ball is coming at a certain part of the goal, how do you maneuver your body? What arm do you use? How, how like how do you spring off the ground? What kinds of decisions do you make in those split seconds that can be the difference between a, a goal a saved and a goal scored? I if I imagine Tegan Micah in those moments, she makes so many more saves of so many more of those shots than what these goalkeepers do because she has that technical foundation. And I think a big reason for that is because she went to college and college football is extremely beneficial in lots of different ways. And we're seeing even outside of goalkeeping ranks in the A-League women's that the, the players who have been to college tend to be the ones who have a much firmer foundation of skill and ability and a reading of the game that those who have just stuck to Australian football don't seem to have. Um, but it's, it is worrying for me that we don't seem to have another Tegan Micah who is really sort of throwing down the mantle and, and making it clear that they are the next big thing to watch because all the goalkeepers, all the young, goal, young goalkeepers so far to me have displayed some pretty significant flaws in their abilities that makes me wonder whether we're actually going to have perhaps more of a problem when it comes to the depth of Matilda's goalkeepers heading into the future than it is the depth of our centre backs. Because I think now that we've started talking about centre backs, we're like, oh, okay, well, we can see this, this player coming through, we can see Nevin, we can see a Nash, we can see, you know, we can see some players there developing, we can see their trajectory but I can't see the trajectory of a lot of these goalkeepers at the moment. And maybe that's just me being cynical and maybe that's just me being unfair because the current quality of our goalkeepers of Williams and Micah and Arnold are so superior that it's just unfair to compare them at the moment. Um, and there are also lots of structural issues as to why this is happening um, in terms of development pathways for goalkeepers and things like that. So yeah, I'd be curious to see if, if the two of you have any thoughts about that. Cause I it's a trend that I've started to notice particularly this season, but I think it's been going on for a lot longer.
1: Just quickly before I respond to him, I'm interested, Jada Wyman, where does she fit in? I don't know if she's been tested, particularly yeah. this season, to be honest. So it's hard to say whether she, because I, she's prone, she's in the past been prone to an error, but it's one of those things has that um, like error prone side of things um, changed over time. It's hard to yeah. say. Can't say this season, really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, a good measure, perhaps, is Jada Wyman's performance in the grand final last year. She was sensational, but throughout that season, she did have a couple of clangers. She did have a couple of moments where you were like, "Oh, what's going on there?" She's also had a patchy injury history. She's had a lot of sort of interruptions to her own development as a goalkeeper. So. How do you like, how do you, how do you measure a goalkeeper while trying to take all of that into consideration? How can you actually have a conversation about something as simple as who's our best goalkeeper when there is actually so much else at play around them? Um, but yeah, and another thing there, Angela, as you mentioned, is like how good can a goal is, it, how can we measure the, the quality of a goalkeeper when they actually haven't had to make that many saves? You know, I think we had this conversation a couple of seasons ago when it came to Melbourne City. Because like Lydia Williams, when she was in goal there, she barely had to make a save. She was far and away the best goalkeeper because we knew her from Matildas and all that stuff. But if we just took that season in a vacuum, how would we have been able to measure her quality? Because she actually wasn't challenged because our like, Melbourne City's defence was just so good that the ball never got to her. So all, taking all that into consideration complicates it even further. But... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's I'm um, just because I'm tired, and it's the end of the year, and I'm worried about the Asian Cup and 2023 and and beyond. I'm like, oh god, what's going to happen there?
0: I, I did have a thought in the sense of like, so a lot of the keepers in the league, I would argue, are either in their kind of maybe first or second seasons or their first or second seasons where they've been the number one so I do wonder how much of it is just like they literally haven't had the opportunity and they are learning on the job and because it's a goalkeeper there's a big magnifying glass on them so all of their mistakes look enormous and all of their saves also look enormous it's a real um go big and go home like it's just everything is huge for these goalkeepers so I do wonder if Next season, if we have this same discussion, it's all, wow, everyone's really improved because they've had this full season behind them. So I'm thinking, you know, the likes of Morgan Aquino, the likes of Annie Grove, if Miranda Templeman gets uh, a go, if Sally James, once she's fit, kind of uh, bumps, bubs for (laughs) a little bit of alliteration there. Georgie Worth, if all of these players all of a sudden kind of take these... Seasons, which, again, are still their kind of maybe first or second real cracks at the dub if we are having a different conversation next season, if there's another player that kind of emerges. Because also I was thinking about it, Mackenzie Arnold was the number one at Brisbane for ages until recently. Litz was taking up a spot at Melbourne City. You had someone like Aubrey Bledsoe at Sydney were we not maybe giving the opportunities to the younger keepers? And that's also created this kind of sense now of, wait, where are they? Where have they been? Have they been hidden away or have they not had that opportunity? So I'm trying to look at this half glass full, which is not my natural kind of disposition, but I think it is interesting. And I will be really curious if we're Like, you know, this time next year, assuming the season is run at this time next year, what the kind of conversation is around goalkeepers, because I do wonder if they kind of need to learn, learn on the job and learn, unfortunately, in front of all of our eyes, and then they're better for it, or if it really is a, a big problem.
1: I think you mentioned opportunity and like that's, I, yeah, that's the big thing that this all comes back to, I think. Um, when we were talking about best goalkeepers in the league, I was like thinking of obviously not an Australian, but Lily Alfield. Um And then I looked it up and she played for LSU. Like she played a full season for Louisiana State University. So there is that connection once again with college. And I don't know if it's necessarily just, the college system or the fact that they're just getting minutes in a competitive league. And that's what is needed.
2: This is very much, I think, a a growing pains season for, for all these clubs, for all these players. Last season was the transition season, but this is the growing, this is the one where it's like, okay, now this is the new foundation And we're going to see the longer-term consequences of all of our neglect over the past couple of years. Now we're throwing these young players who have very few minutes into the spotlight and we are going to actually see them sink or swim. And in some cases they're sinking, in some cases they're swimming, and that's fine. That's okay. That's what has to happen because this is the purpose of this moment for this competition is because if this is going to be the new direction where the A-League Women's is going to be a development league this is the start of development this is you know this is what happens it's not pretty sometimes it's not it's not particularly fun to watch but hopefully it is part of a longer term vision that was not there previously which is going to see some of these players you know improve because that ultimately is the purpose of this league
0: like i said i reckon we'll be chatting about this more ideally we're chatting about it in the sense that wow everyone is not doing silly errors anymore we love that because that's just more pleasant to talk about. But let's keep motoring. We'll take you through the upcoming fixtures. It's the the festival of football. It's that beautiful time where there seems to be a game every second day. Maybe not great for the players. We have games literally very, very soon. You will probably be listening to this podcast on game day. We start with Wellington hosting Sydney. We then have Adelaide and Perth Glory. They return after they were meant to play this weekend or last weekend. They were meant to play, but now they are, which is good. It's the first time we see Perth in a couple of weeks, so really interested to see how they go. We have Western Sydney and Canberra United on New Year's Day, and then we've got two games on Sunday, Victory hosting the Raw and City hosting the Jets. So lots more to look forward to. We will obviously talk about it next week, but let's continue motoring uh, on. We need to talk about the hair pull. I hate that I can now say the hair pull, and you know exactly what I'm talking about I will say the quick mini boot before the boot is that all these people who have literally never shown an interest in the dub all of a sudden had many takes on the hair pull and women's football and things of like that nature and I was just like shush or you know support your team watch the season watch everything besides the hair pull. but that's Neither here nor there. We need to talk about the hair pull, about what happened, about what didn't happen as well. I think that's a kind of big point here. So if you don't know what happened, Sheridan Gallagher, Western Sydney Wanderer, pulled Taylor A, Sydney FC midfielder's hair. She's fallen to the ground quite dramatically. Like it wasn't good to watch. It didn't look comfortable at all she was only given a yellow card. So I think first things first, do we think a yellow card was the correct decision in
2: this situation, friends? No, God, no. It was It so clearly endangered Taylor Ray's safety. And in the footage, you saw her almost get whiplash you saw her her neck snap back you saw her hit the ground like she, I if she what would have happened if she had had a neck injury you know like what and this is the thing that it, that is really interesting to me is that there when I was looking into this there doesn't actually seem to be any clear rules about hair pulling in terms of fouls in football it just seems to be like it's the same as pulling a shirt and that's, that perhaps explains why you only get a yellow card because it's perhaps seen as a professional foul. It's seen as a sort of niggly thing. But considering that hair is on the body and a hair pull and when for the majority of the times that we've ever seen it happen in football is deliberate, it seems like it needs to earn more of a punishment than just a yellow card. And the other concern that I have with because it is only just a yellow card, is that maybe going to make players feel like they can do it more because they're not going to be as harshly punished for it. It's a really, it's an odd insight into the way in which, you know, punishments and crimes seem to be out of whack in football. And I wonder if perhaps part of it is because Hair pulling is a little bit more common in women's football than it is in men's because women tend to have longer hair. Therefore, hair pulling tends to be mathematically perhaps more likely. But women's football has never been the focus when it comes to creating rules and punishments in terms of fouls. And so therefore, hair pulling has just sort of gone by the wayside. It's just sort of bundled in with a whole bunch of other things. But if of all the examples you've ever seen of hair pulling, it's really violent. It's dangerous. It looks like it could cause a serious injury to a player. It, like, remember when Kaya Simon pulled Annabelle Martin's hair? That wasn't nearly as bad as what happened to Taylor Ray in terms of actually being pulled to the ground, but it had exactly the same effect in terms of like ripping the head back and causing potentially quite serious damage to her body. So I, I would be shocked if there isn't a discussion after this incident about bumping the punishment up to a red card because it's pretty clearly deliberate and it's clearly endangering the safety of a player. So the fact that it's a yellow card is just baffling to me.
0: I went and looked at the laws of the game because I wanted to know what the deal was because I was in the same kind of boat. It didn't make sense to me. In my brain, I like I would categorise hair pulling, especially... With this specific incident, in a similar kind of basket as a tackle from behind, Taylor I didn't know it was going to happen. She's caught completely unaware. She's pulled back in the opposite direction to her momentum. It's dangerous. It's reckless. It's deliberate, which I think is also a big thing. It's not an accidental kind of oh whoopsie, you know, it's got caught in my watch. She wouldn't be wearing a watch on a football field. But you know, it's not an accidental tangle up. It was a deliberate choice to pull her back, pull her down, stop her from going forward. So I thought it was really interesting that it only constituted a yellow. So I went and I looked at the laws of the game. And so obviously this becomes then an interpretation thing. So I'm assuming the referee deemed it unsporting behaviour, which is conduct worthy of a yellow card. In the laws of the game, though, there's also then violent conduct, which is worthy of a red card. And for situations that are deemed violent conduct are applied when a player is not challenging for the ball. That is seen if they've done something when they're not challenging for the ball, that's deemed violent conduct. So me, obviously not a ref, have just like pulled up the little IFAB rules, whatever, and I'm having a look, having a read. My layman's interpretation is that what we saw was violent conduct and was worthy of a red card. If you are a referee listening or into IFAB, I don't know, people like weird things, but if you have, I suppose, a better explanation or are able to kind of explain why it was a yellow and not a red, I would love, I think we would all love to kind of hear the explanation and why, and maybe we can get on that page as to why it's deemed a yellow and not a red, but just it wasn't It wasn't fun to watch. It wasn't pleasant, and I just think you you can't be doing that. I don't think, like I don't think Sheridan Gallagher is a bad person for doing it, but she did mean to pull her hair, and we can't just let that kind of slide completely unchecked. I know she did get the yellow, but to me, that just feels like a, a slap on the wrist. So I don't like it. I don't want to see it again. But please, if you are a referee, please explain, if, if you can, why it's a, a yellow and not a red.
2: The other thing as well that you mentioned at the top of the boot, Marissa, was the way that it was received on social media. I did notice that it, it made its way to a lot of um, men's football pages quite rapidly. And I can't help but think that hair pulling, of all the kinds of violent conduct that occurs in women's football, it is perhaps one of the most gendered. It's a it's a sort of act of violence that reflects a kind of cattiness, a kind of stereotype of the way in which women fight with each other. You know, you see sometimes those videos of women uh, getting into, like, altercations where they rip at each other's hair and they scratch and they bite and they do lots of those kinds of acts against one another. And I, I, I couldn't help but feel that this hair-pulling incident fed into those larger stereotypes that people have about women and violence and the ways in which women are violent or can be violent. Um, and it was kind of gross because it, it, it like the responses from particularly from a lot of men were weirdly like joyful, like they kind of liked watching it. And I did not like that at all. That is my that is the extent to my, of my critical thinking in this respect. Like it was, it was just a really gross um, reaffirmation of the way in which people view women footballers, and in moments like this, where it's two professionals, you know, having added it on a field in terms of this particular act, it, it has been it has been packaged and landed in the men's football community in a way that I think just it. it it reifies lots of old um, retrograde kinds of assumptions about women, um, particularly women in sport and what happens when they become violent. Let's
0: change the tone of the conversation and move into some how goods. I'm going to start us off because I have two really quick ones. They're two photos that made me laugh. So first up, um, Sam, when you mentioned that, you know, Brisbane and Canberra had been contesting grand finals, it was an anniversary of a grand final, I think, recently, or it was the fact that Brisbane and Canberra had played in the first dub grand final. So they posted photos of the lineups. And in amongst the sea of green was friend of the pod, Grace Gill, rocking a headband underneath her side fringe. And it it just fills me with joy because it makes me laugh. She has We've discussed it on Twitter. She has mentioned it. She's like, yeah, that was not a great choice. I was there picking, like, salty bits of fringe off my face for the entire game. It made me laugh. I loved it. Shout out to friend of the pod, Grace Gill. Second photo was um, during the Melbourne Victory header. Victory Socials posted a photo of Kevin Musket, former manager, former captain, former player. Big deal in men's Melbourne Victory kind of folklore. Um, just popping out the side is Kayla Morrison doing a little piece and pout. And again, it's just big photo bombing energy. It made me laugh. We were talking about it in the media box. It was going to be Anna's How Good. She literally saw it and immediately turned to me and said, I want to talk about this. This is so funny. So I'm doing that one kind of on Anna's behalf. It was so funny. They were both, they were just hilarious photos. So we will retweet them. They were excellent how good to these photos but Sam please you can give us a how good now
2: yeah my how good uh, apologies for bringing men's football into the chat but my how good actually happened this morning it's Wednesday morning um my beloved Liverpool team lost to Leicester in the Premier League but a cool thing that happened afterwards was that Leicester boss Brendan Rogers, totally unprompted gave a shout out to Emma Hayes Uh, Hayes was part of the expert panel um, doing punditry uh, for the game. And when Rogers was being interviewed um, about his win afterwards, he said of Emma Hayes, I worked at Chelsea and know how great a club it is. She's done an amazing job for women's football. The things you're doing, speaking to Hayes is really helping it progress as a fellow coach watching from the outside. You've done amazing. So well done. And Isn't that just so nice. Like I, I love, I know that women's football doesn't need to be validated by the men's game and it, it shouldn't need to be, but it's it's really lovely, I think, when you see a coach of a Brendan Rodgers kind of calibre who is clearly paying attention to what's happening in women's football and uses his platform in moments like this, which was a really big deal, to direct attention and put the spotlight onto a woman coach in the game as well. And someone who's as brilliant as Emma Hayes Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that we adore her. So just to sort of see that camaraderie amongst coaches across football, I think was really lovely. So Brendan Rogers doing doing what we all wish we could we could, we could all do and and tell Emma Hayes that she is our mum and we love her. How good.
0: How good. Liverpool losing 1-0. How good. Angela, I help Oi. you, please.
1: <laughs> um, I will be continuing the trend of chatting about men's football. Um I guess one of these ones is like a boot to that, but a how good to this sort of thing. So my how good, um, now that I've phrased it in my head, sounds a bit strange, but my how good is the match between Duisburg and Osnabrück being called off in the third division of German football um, due to racist. Again, it sounds terrible as I'm saying it, due to... um, one of their players, Aaron Obaku, being racially abused by a fan, and the reason why this is a how good is not the racial abuse that's awful, um, but more the response from the players and the fans and the club. I think was um, it's the first time that this has ever happened that a game has been called off in the middle of a match. Um, the fan like was the fan was escorted out of the stadium. Um, the fans responded. With chance, and we're basically showing solidarity. Um, I think one of the chances was Nazis out, if thumbs up. Yep, agree with that sentiment. Um, but it was also the fact that I guess the recognition that that's a horrible thing to happen to you in your workplace. And so you support your colleagues in that moment. And so the, the game was called off because they didn't want to keep playing. It was obviously like it's a very unsettling thing to happen Um, a very distressing thing a lot of the time I imagine as well so yeah it was great to see that and the CEO of um, Osnabrück after the game Michael Wellig he said we don't just want to put anti-racism on t-shirts or band around slogans if really really want to take something seriously then you have to act accordingly and I think that really was shown in the club's response and both teams response and the fans response to this in the fact that they all showed solidarity and it wasn't just on the individual player to deal with the situation and to just I guess having to process that emotional labour of being racially abused but that it was a, a collective effort and I think that that's I think that sets the standard for what should happen moving forward because these incidences aren't isolated. They're not rare in football and in sport. Um, And so if they, yeah, not to be, I guess, utopian, but if these kinds of responses can be more common, I think that it would really disencourage people to be absolute twats Um, in these spaces and ultimately make sport a safer and better place for more people so that's that's a how good just Osnabrück and Doisborg's response to that and hopefully obviously not more again I'm like not more racism but more dealing with racism in a good way please yes how good
0: (laughs) you did well there it was all good but That's enough from us. That's us done for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, we are on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Subscribe wherever you do. Listen, leave a review if you like what we do. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at The Far Post Pod on all social media. Please tell us why it wasn't violent conduct. I really, really want to know why it wasn't violent conduct. You can do that at The Far Post Pod. But, um... Until next time, so yes.